Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. April 12th, 2015, episode number 76, Let It Ride. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. I'm Kevin England. Since we last met. I've been on vacation and then I had a little incident this week which put me behind and while I normally follow a structure for this podcast today we're going to embrace the organic side of podcasting and just roll in no specific order hence the title Let It Ride. Embracing this notion let's get started with a special guest after dinner tonight Sharon and I did something unusual and went outside and just sat in the gazebo and had a bit of a chat. I took the opportunity to go through some of the bee activities for the week. Let me set the scene. We have a few Adirondack chairs on a small platform that has a teak gazebo overhead and alongside some small ponds that are in our yard. If you watch some of our videos, you can see this in the background because it sits off behind where I film. Sharon was in one chair with the dog on her lap and I slid my chair over and recorded this with my cell phone. Forgive the noises of the dog and other distractions going on, and enjoy our little patter of conversation on what could be a pseudo-local hive report. What do you see? I see. (laughs) I see you got stung by a bee under your eye yesterday. (laughs) That's what you saw, huh? (laughs) you're snorting (laughs) that's funny Uh, here let me slide over here okay are you ready hi Jules hello Kevin my dear husband after being in the emergency room for many hours on Thursday because he fell down the steps, <laughs> thought he broke his back. Hip. Hip back. You know, the hip back, you know that part. Spent the whole weekend being, being with the bees. I didn't do anything, though. I was just talking. I didn't do anything. Claims he's not doing anything supposed to be resting. I did rest. I laid in bed all day. One day. Two days. So I guess he's better. <laughs> well, I'm still sore and I hurt, but... He installed a package at the mentoring yard. But I didn't install it. Somebody else did. Oh, well, he must have talked while they did the I work. I did, right. That was the point of and it. And then he brought the hive back here. Right. And we installed it in our yard. Right. And did I lift it? Nope, I did. You did, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now we have four hives. Four hives. And as soon as they start swarming from Jim McCauley's house, we'll be having like <laughs> nine hives. But we did go scope out a new place today. We did. Isn't that exciting? We got to pet the goats. <laughs> and get some goat milk. We bought some. Half yeah. a gallon of goat milk. It's delicious. So we went to see a farmer friend it's very of ours. earthy. <laughs> Funny. 
mercy. That goes back to the Mead video for anybody who got to see that little joke. Because <laughs> it tastes very earthy. Yeah. Well, the, the location looked really good, the one we saw today. It did. Beautiful field. A lot of native plants around, not cultivated fields, so to speak. I mean, there were some hay fields and whatever, right? But be a southern exposure, I guess, to the front of the hive. Well, it's going to face south. Yeah, the, the sun when it rises in the morning, so it's east. Yeah, sun rises in the east. Southeast-ish. Okay, southeast. Well, that's the key, right, is that it's going to get the first morning sun. It's got full open fields. It's got a good windbreak behind it. And um, it's accessible by a parking lot right next to it, which is spectacular. So uh, there's there's nothing bad about the location that we saw. It's great. I'm hoping it, for all this work we get some honey this year. Yeah, that would be nice. It was full sun. It's been a few years. Well, we'll take care of that this year, hopefully. It was full sun. It would be nice. So, let's back up. Yesterday was the Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers Association first hands-on meeting. There were a lot of people there, Sharon. There were 20, 25, 30 people. Nice. It was a pretty good crowd. I'm glad. We didn't do a very good job of getting the notice out early. We had said something at our previous meeting, but the email announcements went out late. So, but a lot of people showed up, and it was kind of cold. And unfortunately, it's it's a little early in the season. When we went to go look in the hives, they were not um, they were not ready. You would hope they would have developed more. We were looking to make a couple splits, but they were so poor that hadn't grown big enough to split probably in a week or two they would be better to go back it's just been so cold i know it's behind this week because looking at the notes from last year and the year before we were out there about this weekend and we did splits and got everything prepped the difficulty for uh, us is that we have earth day coming up and they want to do they want to do an observation hive and the bees aren't ready to split so it's uh, it's going to be tough this year. We we've got a couple things already for the association to go out uh, in the next two weeks. With so, observation hives. Yeah. Which you don't have. Which we don't have, but I guess we'll figure it out. Yeah. So we've been doing a lot of work. We had the business meeting this past week too about the June meeting where David Tarpey is coming in, and we have to settle on the catering, and we did that. I guess we have to call and lock them in, like literally tell them, make Fran. the make the commitment, Fran. right? Yeah, Fran, Fran will help that. with that. She's the chair on that. But uh, the planning is coming together well, and we also are planning for the Warren County Fair. That's starting to come together too, so a couple big things to plan this year for us. We had our um, meeting with Dr. Gilly and posted some of the videos out of that meeting from March 21st. I know that uh, Charlie Ilsley spoke. His presentation is up. And Jim McCauley talked about how to make mite shakers 
out of peanut butter jars without having to use a soldering gun. And his talk was really good. He did a great job just standing up there. And he did both a presentation with a PowerPoint, and then he literally made mite shakers. Cool. Mix the epoxy, mix the glue, and put everything together right there, drill the holes and all that stuff. So it was that was kind of cool. He did a presentation and a demo on one shot. We're distracted because we're sitting out here on the gazebo, and Julia is sitting on Sharon's lap, and she's craning her neck. What's she looking at? I think she's looking for the cats. Uh, they're wandering around about us. So what else do we have to talk about? Um, we saw the bees on the pond getting uh, getting their drinks, landing on the leaves on the pond. Yeah, they were, um, you know, we put these, these ponds are here, and we always wish that they would come over and drink out of them, but they always go the other direction. So it's kind of nice to see them using this. There's a bunch of leaves floating on the surface, and they just land on them and walk down. There's one right now. Yep, there's one right now flying there as we sit and look at it. Buzzing around. And all the, you know, we cleaned the gardens up today. Use a leaf blower and blow all the leaves out from fall. And all the crocuses are up now. And we even have daffodils blooming. So spring is here. Looking at the trees, though, you don't see a lot of buds, do we? Not time yet? It's it's getting there. There's some... I see buds popping out. Usually this, this tree right here, uh, you start to see the buds, and then when that thing goes, spring is on. And I don't see any on it as we're looking at them. I guess it's a couple of weeks early. Uh, to, for me, the, the beginning of forage is forsythia. They don't look ready at all, the forsythia. Looks like it'll be a couple weeks. Yeah. We did notice that all the snowdrops are up all, all around the front of the property. They're up and, and done already. But they're late because they should have they're been late. done in the early February, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, well, I went in the three hives today and looked at them. And how did they look, Kevin? They look good. <laughs> Small. Uh, you know, surprise. The, the first hive had three blocks on it. It had two deeps. And a honey super when it went into winter. And the honey super is now occupied by all the bees and the brood is up there. So they went all the way to the top of the box. Hmm. So I I would have preferred not to have them in the honey super. But that's where they are. So I left the honey super in the middle of the stack. And the box in the bottom was empty. I put that on the top. And the box, the, the box that was underneath the honey super had some stores left in it, so I put that on the top of the hive. So basically it did a reversal, but with three boxes. And I guess one of the things is we lost the honey super. It's now a brood chamber. Oh. It's a medium with a brood chamber. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'll do is try and restart the medium hive that we had. Somewhere along the line when that hive bursts out, if there's brood in that medium, I'll pull it out and I'll make that a split and try and reconstitute the medium hive. So the hive number one looks good. It had quite a few bees in it. Hive number two was a small cluster. We looked at it. We actually found the queen. She wasn't marked. So that means somewhere last year they replaced that queen because all of my queens were marked. 
that was a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that. And why they replaced her, I, I don't know. They were all swarm queens, so very strange. But anyway, that, that only occupied about four frames. They had some brood. We didn't take the box apart because it's still just a smidge chill. It was 60, what, two, five today, something like that. And we were in in full sun, but so that box, the bottom box was completely and utterly empty. I just put it in the, in the bottom position, or I'm sorry, the, yeah, the bottom box was empty and I put it on top. I did a reversal there too. And the third box was more of the same, same idea. So, and let's talk about, um, you didn't see it, but, but we did package installs yesterday, two of them. One of them we did the traditional method where you pull the can out. I have to show you the video. The can wouldn't come out of the box. <laughs> we're standing in front of 20 people and you're trying to tug the can out and it wouldn't come and we're using hive tools and we're prying it. I ended up crushing the can and squeezing it to get it out of the box hmm. because for whatever reason the bottom ring would not come through that hole. So we did we did the part where you've seen a package install. You tap the package on the ground and tap it to get the bees down. Down and then you tip it over and you dump it in, right? Mm -hmm. But that's really strange to me, like how to install a package. I've seen them installed a bunch of different ways. They've just ridden back on the truck on a trailer from Florida. Now you're banging them on the ground and you're putting them in a box and people want to know why the queens fail or why the bees abscond when you put them in the box and they don't accept it. I mean, I don't know if you can use human terms to it, but it's probably traumatic, don't you think? Mm -hmm. So we did that install process and we put them in a top bar hive, which was pretty cool. All that noise you hear is the dog rustling around here next to us. We put it in a top bar hive. So one of the things we wanted to do this year is have a top bar hive by the mentoring. Because there's three or four people who are doing top bars in our club. And they don't have anybody to refer to. And Bob Kloss got a good deal on a couple top bars from a guy who was moving. And so he brought one up and put it up and we installed it in. And we went through how to install a package in a top bar without any frames in it. So that was pretty cool. But the other thing we did was install the package by just putting the package in a box. So you pry the plywood off. You pull the can out, get the queen, and you pull five frames out and just put the box inside the hive body. And you install your queen. Well, what you do with your queen is you dip her in the bees so that the box is covered. And then you pull it out and you hang it between the frames and the bees on the queen start scenting and everybody comes out of the package box and into the hive. So we did that first thing in the meeting. And then we went and did all the manipulations and splits and whatever we were going to try. And then we went back later and looked at the box and all the bees had come out of the package onto the, to the frames just the way we wanted. Cool. So that was cool. So we brought that box gentle. home. Yeah. Gentle. You didn't have to bang them on the ground. And I brought that box home and put it in the yard. That's the one you helped me with. And when we put it out in the yard, we pulled the package box out, put the five frames in it, and laid the package box next to it. 
Wasn't that fun, honey? Yes. Tell them how I get the hive out to the yard. <laughs> how did I do it? He's got this fancy dancy uh, lift. With it's very special. It has wheels on it. Yeah. And he puts his hive box on it. It's and perfect. It fits perfectly. <laughs> and it's an old wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> But it worked well. Yesterday the ground was soft, so it kept the front wheels kept digging in some holes. Uh, he's going to end up in the wheelchair because <laughs> yeah. his back. <laughs> Here he is pushing the wheelchair with the hive across the lawn. <laughs> it across was kind the of ditch. funny. Well, it worked great down the driveway, but when we got in the mud, <laughs> it did look funny. But the you know the hive fits perfectly on the seat. I know. I seat. know. I know you were taking your bees for a walk. Yes, that's what I was doing. So we looked at that hive today. My neighbor down the street, Jim, came and he helped me. He moved all the boxes around. And uh, I just helped him. We we pulled the one frame out and he got to see eggs. He's been keeping bees for three years. He said today was the first time he ever got to wow. see them in that manner. And the key is you hold the frame the right way with the Light. sun behind you. Mm -hmm. But to the point I was at before... The box where we installed the package, the bees were flying like crazy today, and I saw them bringing in pollen, and everything was good. So, yep. So we got four four boxes set out in the yard, and we have a new place to keep bees. And I still have a lot of work to do. I guess next week I'm on a honeydew list, right? Mm -hmm. So no bees next week. I got to take care of stuff for you, but. They'll be in good shape for a period. I, You know, I put fondant on all three of those hives. One of them took it. One kind of nibbled at it, and the other one ignored it. Hmm. When I looked today, all three of them had been eating the fondant. Wow, good. So, I don't know why I should have to feed them. Although, I did see in the one hive it had new nectar. So, it's getting it from somewhere. So, finally, there's probably some plants for them to get something. But... They were all eating the fondant. Good. So I have a couple other topics that were going on in the news. Uh, one of them is the EPA issued a moratorium on neonicotinoids. Did you hear about this story? No. <laughs> no. What's going on? <laughs> well, you know neonicotinoids. You know about all them. Yes. So there's been petitions and problems and, and other countries have banned them. And what they said is they would not accept any new any new applications for use of neonicotinoids for products. Hmm. And I think the other thing I saw is that Lowe's is going to stop selling any plants that had neonicotinoids. I think I read that in the news okay. this week. And I guess Home Depot has recently said that they would label their plants that are using them. So it's interesting to see. it. This this means that the EPA thing won't stop people from using what's out there already, but they won't approve anything new. It does have a clause for anybody that's... Um, if some emergency comes up and the way that they're going to solve it is by allowing a new neonic to... Come in, they'll let it let it go. 
They'll possibly do an emergency approval, but for now everything is banned for any new applications. So that's interesting. That's at least a recognition that they need to be reviewed further. So I guess off the cuff that's all that I can think of. It's been nice having a nice little chat with you. <laughs> it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. Well, uh, I, I'll go inside and look at my topic list and pull out a couple more things. I guess this uh, is is like a pseudo-local hive report. <laughs> but, uh, all right, say goodbye. Goodbye. So a couple things we spoke about can be elaborated on a bit. The first thing I can offer is that I recorded that little segment with my Nokia Icon phone, which has some sort of special microphone set up and is supposed to be excellent at recording and capturing sound. And, you know, that was pretty darn good. I listened to it and uh, for just setting the phone down between the two of us and, and talking into it, uh, did a really good job. Especially like the birds in the background. It sounded like a fake... Uh, <laughs> A fake uh, soundtrack in the... Anyway. Uh, as noted, I got my first thing of the year while at the mentoring hives. I got stung in my cheek under my left eye. And my face was a bit swollen yesterday and today. But for the most part, it wasn't too bad. Sharon made mention of my little activity Wednesday night. I was walking down the basement stairs and slipped and fell to the ground. From the third step from the bottom... At the bottom of the stores, I have a door that goes right into my office. It was open, and I deflected off the door, bounced off the door jam, and then into the fish tank, which you see on the video sometimes when I record podcasts on, uh, what is it, YouTube or, or uh, Google Hangouts. I'm, I'm having a day where I just can't bring things together. Forgive me for my little bit of... Uh, Lag, <laughs> that's a great term for it, is lag. Anyway, um, I deflected off that door and bounced off the door jam, and it was a hard enough hit that I broke the floorboards, which I now have to go repair some point this week. I laid on the ground for about five minutes trying to get my faculties back. It knocked the breath out of me. And then I literally crawled on my hands and knees up the stairs and uh, around and then back up the stairs to my bedroom. I made it to the bed and got inside, and that's about as far as I got. The next morning, early, Sharon took me to the emergency room. I really thought um, I broke my hip because I had a significant pain muscular on the outside, but I could really feel it inside in the backside of my hip. And I'm not an old man or anything, but, uh, you know, I've been around long enough to know that that was a little bit different of a pain. The x-ray showed that there was a separation of the seam from my hip to the bottom of my spine. And to make sure that it wasn't separated fully and broken, they sent me for a CAT scan. And then after reviewing that, said I was okay to go home. There was no fracture, but they wanted me to be on light duty, rest and not hurt myself, lifting things or doing whatever. I literally stayed in bed Thursday and Friday. I mean, literally, never got up. I didn't go to work. They offered me Percocet at the hospital, and I said, no, I'll do it with ibuprofen. It was a bad decision. <laughs> I don't ever, 
I don't ever take that stuff when they offer it. I, I just don't believe in it. But, uh, man, my left hip was absolutely killing me. And having abrasion from my right shoulder to my right hip looks like a racing stripe. I pulled that muscle underneath my right shoulder blade, the one that hurts every time you move your arm. And I have deep muscle soreness, probably a bruise across the top of my right thigh. And, uh, yeah, I feel like an old man. I was sore and up and around yesterday because I wanted to go to the meeting, and that will heal anybody, I suppose. And uh, I did some stuff today, no lifting. But uh, I feel, again, like an old man, but I'm going to work tomorrow. The key thing that the muscle spasms in my hips went away and subsided, and I could drive my truck with little difficulty. And uh, at least they didn't hit my head or do any permanent damage that I know of. So all's well that ends well, so to speak. I'm thankful for Jim uh, Schmalls, our neighbor down the street, who came over today and helped me go through my hives. Today was the first real warm day where you could do a full inspection. I'm doing my best to follow the doctor's orders not to lift anything and remain on light duty, I suppose, for the rest of the week and let my body heal. So it was really helpful that he came through and lifted the boxes and and, uh, was kind enough to follow my direction and get the hive set up and frame set up while we were there. I went to the spring meeting yesterday uh, that Sharon and I spoke of, but I didn't lift anything, but just participating, standing there for hours made me really sore this morning when I got up. Uh, during a talk, the talk that Sharon and I had, I mentioned that we did the package installs. It's been a a good number of years before since we've installed any packages. It just hasn't worked out for this spring meeting, and the meeting yesterday was built around the fact that the packages we had available were coming up, and we bought two of those. I was happy to get the chance to show the method that did not require shaking the bees down. I am concerned, however, about telling people to do that and have them isolate their queen, as I say in the video, over here, and the bees are over there, and the queen dies from being cold. You're giving this instruction to people who are not beekeepers. Some of them have not seen a bee, and now they have a box and they have to install it. There's always that concern that if they do something wrong and they lose their bees, they're not going to be happy. So we have to be really careful about it. I will say yesterday that uh, if you watch in the video, I was pretty confident, even if we put them in the box and we put the queen over to the side, as long as we dipped her in some bees and she had some attendants around her, they would come out and cover her up. And they did exactly that. So, And while it was... Um, not exactly freezing cold. It was in the low to mid-40s last night at our home. I looked at the package today, install, and it was flying and going like crazy. So I'm sure they're doing great in there. I should say that we recorded those package installs. And if you want to see on video what I'm talking about, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash NWNJBA. I like the way it came out, and Bob Kloss also previewed the top bar hive that we installed the package in. One of the objectives we had this year was to uh, get a top bar installed so that we can give people more information about that. We've been receiving questions, and uh, Bob was kind enough to install a package in one of his top bars, and I think he's going to leave it up there, and we'll have that as a resource. So that's pretty neat. 
right. Well, you know, it's going to be a short episode. We went to uh, Florida on vacation. We were hoping to see the Wazatowskis, but we missed them. They were in transit out. I did know uh, one thing that I saw. We were standing next to a boat dock, and there was this bush there, and there were pollinators all over it. I don't know what kind of plane it was. They did take a picture of the sign, but I don't recall. But there were bees, and there were wasps, and there were sweat bees, and there were even honeybees on this thing. Whatever it was, if you live in Florida, you should point, you should uh, plant thousands of them. I'll see if I could dig that out and bring it back for the next episode. I had some notes on a couple things. Let me see if I can pull them in, and we'll just go roundtable through a bunch of those. First one we'll start with is one on oxalic acid. So President Obama has issued a bee-friendly memo, and the EPA expedited its registration of oxalic acid to use against varroa mites. I don't know that I've seen the details of this, but the good news is is that a lot of people have been using this successfully abroad, but it hasn't been allowed in the United States. And it got a Section 3C5 miticide approval. And instead of delaying it to late 2016 or later, apparently it was approved right away. It approves... The label approves application in three different methods. By solution to packages, oxalic dihydride crystals would be dissolved into one sugar and water solution for spraying on packaged bees. So this is interesting because you'd put oxalic acid in something, spray it on the bees, and if they had mites, they would drop out. The second method is by solution to beehives. Oxalic acid dissolved in the sugar solution would be trickled between frames and other spaces. And then the third application is vapor treatment of hives. Oxalic acid are heated and the vapor sublimates sublimates in the hive covering all the bees and hive interiors with a very thin layer of fine crystals This has never really been an accepted practice in the United States. I know that some beekeepers were doing it, even though they shouldn't have been. At minimum now, this provides another option. I would suggest that uh, people getting excited about this, make sure they take a deep breath, pause, read the instructions, or understand how to apply this stuff. It's an acid, and if you vaporize it wrong, it could mean bodily harm to you. Uh, Let me not be a fear monger, but just follow the instructions and do it right. I know that people are selling products that uh, are used to melt the crystals, turn them into vapor. Uh, I, I would say, just again, do your research as to which method works well for you. I don't think a lot of people are applicable for the first method, which is applying them to packages because you're not package B providers, but, uh, the drip or the vapor, um, looking forward to having another way to treat. And the important thing about this option is that it adds another option to the integrated pest management, which means rotating different treatments, chemical, non-chemical, uh, breaks in the brood, and things like that. One other option so that if you kill mites one way, you can change and kill the ones that are uh, surviving that other way 
kill them another way and not be breeding super mites. So oxalic acid, check. It is coming to your area soon, if not already. Uh, just follow your state apiarist's instructions on this. Next up, I wanted to give some commentary about a good question that came in on one of the comments from our YouTube video talking about a hive that had died. It said, if the hive died of starvation, why would there be resources left untouched for others to rob? I'm just trying to wrap my mind around the thought of bees starving and having resources in their hive at the same time. Just to explain the notion on this, it's a fair question. If the bees are on a cluster in the winter to keep warm, large clusters can move around and to some extent break that cluster to get to resources. Small clusters, however, don't have that freedom and they can literally starve with resources right nearby. And think about the way it was in New Jersey and over a lot of the area. It's 10 degrees every night, all through January and February, even the high of 10 degrees. Any bee that ventures off the colony would have been chilled and died trying to get to food. Now, large clusters can shift the mass, so to speak. Think about squeezing a soft foam pillow. If you squeeze it, it would go oblong one way. If you stretched it, it would go oblong another way. Bees can be malleable in their shape and move around to the periphery and get to resources. But if you have a small cluster that's just trying to hang on and stay warm... They don't have that opportunity of shifting around, and there could be food literally inches away, and they're going to starve. So that's the answer to that response, and it's a good question because people get confused about that. And uh, it is hard to wrap around the fact that you see a cluster dead in a hive on a couple frames, and the next frame over is capped honey. Now, a lot of people don't see that because by the time they get in look at their hives, Maybe that capped honey has been eaten by other hives that came in and raided it. And for there, you're looking at chewed cappings because they have to get the capping off. And a bee coming in to rob those hives, they're generally not kind about that. They just shred the capping off so that they can get to the food underneath. And you'll find a lot of cappings on the bottom board. So incidentally, to the end of uh, cappings on the bottom board... Today, I wanted to note that we looked at a bottom board that had a lot of cappings on it. It's not from being robbed. It's from the bees coming into spring, and they're eating all the food. <laughs> and they're chewing off the cappings, and the cappings are down. Had a different look to it. The robbing cappings were shredded in different sized chunks. If you think about like a bad coffee grinder, the, the grounds in the coffee are big, small, little, you know, but if you have a good coffee grinder, this is the secret of making good coffee, it grinds in small uniform chunks that gets you a better extraction. Well, when bees eat food, cappings, for spring, in a normal way, not being robbed, the, the powder of the capping that's on the bottom board is fine and even because they're doing it not in a rushed and harried way. So today we saw those cappings on the bottom of one of the uh, screen bottom boards that we have but what we also saw were mites some were dead and yes some were crawling around on there now i always love that because a screen bottom board whenever there's a mite down there that means it has fallen through now ideally i'm going to want to pull those uh, inserts out and let them fall to the ground and then hopefully they don't get back into the hive 
But for me, I still think it's 40 degrees at night, sometimes possibly going into the 30s, as I had just mentioned. I'm not ready to pull those inserts out. I'm going to leave them there until it's 50 degrees at night, and then I might consider pulling them out. We did pull the, the inserts out, cleaned them off, and put them back underneath the hive. And, you know, every once in a while, people forget. Go pull those inserts out and look what's on them. If you see a lot of mites on them, and this was a question I got uh, today was, could you put a mite treatment in? Yes. Now you might want to put a mite treatment. There's not a lot of cap brood, and if you do a small mite treatment, you're going to knock the mites down, and it will take longer for them to ramp up. I've talked about this on a number of episodes, so I won't go into it again. But, uh, yep, that's a consideration. Next roundtable topic I want to talk about. I found this article. It's been out there since February of 2015. I've run across videos about this, but I can't seem to recall in my memory that I've ever mentioned it on the podcast. The article is called, Can Mushrooms Save the Honeybees? There's a video out there of a gentleman talking about his bees discovering mushrooms in his garden and the impact it had and it goes along the lines of the fauna that's inside of a hive the bacteria and microorganisms and the question is can certain mushrooms produce antiviral compounds that protect them and also are there natural microbes in the mushrooms that kill varroa mite in this case, they're talking about a couple people uh, looking at the fungi, fungi, whatever term you want to use. I'm not very professional today, bear with me. And seeing if they could pull extracts out or get bees to feed, drink from, participate with different types of mushrooms. And will it have an impact on the ecosystem inside the hive? And could this be something that's been missing all along? I do somehow seem to recall that I did speak about this. The person's name is Paul Stamets. You can look that up. He's working with a researcher from the Washington State University, an entomologist named Steve Shepard. And they're trying to confirm this hunch about bees and fungi and they're trying to look and see if they could find the connection specifically as it relates to varroa mites. I'd like to see them find something here. And it does lend credence to all these chemicals that we're putting inside our hives, acids and other things, are disrupting the interior of the hive where if you're in a tree, you're going to have this natural bacteria and fungi and other mildews and other things going on and we're running in sterile environments which may or may not be conducive to it i'm going to find a uh, chance to put a link in the show notes to this article i'm referring to you can read it and if you go on youtube i believe you'll find some tests and information i think this guy actually did a ted talk that's what i remember talking about at some point uh, with his prototypes and how mushrooms can make an impact for the bees. Very interesting stuff. You should go check it out. Next round table segment. I've talked about this in the past, but I want to bring it up again because it's that time of year where people are going out. Some of you not familiar with working with bees. Um, 
Just a public service announcement. Bees are attracted to the scents and colors of flowers, obviously. That's what brings them to nectar. And you want to make sure if you're going out to work your bees that you're not doing anything that's going to make you the attractant. I thought it really funny yesterday morning after I took a shower in preparation going to the meeting, I reached in to look at what deodorant I was going to use. And thinking that one of the ones that I chose would probably not be a good choice because I know it gives off a really flowery scent. Not that I'm a manly man. (laughs) No, it just has a a soft, uh, how do I say it, fresh smell. It's a fresh scent. Yeah, I dug myself a hole here. You're going to want to make sure that perfume, hairspray, Hair tonic. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have any hair. Suntan lation. That was another thing. I should have had suntan. I got sunburned yesterday. Aftershave lotion. Really heavy scented shampoos. I have uh, dial soap that has an orange flavor to it. I'm sure the bees would really love that smell. Sometimes even cosmetics. All of these things can be attractant to insects, let alone honeybees. It should be avoided. Uh, obviously you're going to wear white clothes or light clothes, something that does not have a fuzzy appearance to it. Fur is not a good deal because bees get attracted by that. Um, you could even go as far as saying don't wear shiny jewelry, rings, earrings, belt buckles. And uh, I think it stands to reason that if you're out working with the bees, you're not in a bikini, you're not wearing open toe shoes. All of that. You should really protect yourself. Now, don't go looking like you're... I worked all day yesterday with no veil, no gloves, wearing a t-shirt, and I, I did okay. I got stung once by... They opened a hive and a bee came off and, and zapped me, but that's about it. Um, you also want to make sure your your clothing that you wear doesn't have loose, flappy sleeves or or you know you don't want bees up inside your pants shorts things like that if worse comes to worse bring some rubber bands and close off your ankles do things like that to keep the bees from coming up inside your clothing uh, you don't want to be doing that happy dance outside of your hives people will be looking at you and wondering what's going on uh, light colored white clothing preferable Preferably cotton and never wear wool. Although I don't know why you'd go out and wear wool to your hives. But uh, just a public service announcement. Give that some thought next time you go out about the perfumes, especially in the scents that you use. You don't want to be a magnet for getting stung. Roundtable number five. This is a shout out to listener Bob Brownsdorf. He lives over... In Massachusetts, not too far from Seekonk Speedway. I always read about that. I always wanted to go there and check out those speedways up in Connecticut and New York and Massachusetts out in that those areas. A lot of history on those tracks. Not sure if you're a participant or just can hear them from your house, as you said in the email. He sent along a note about the resin casts that I made. I talked about the two-part system of mixing together products to come up with a resin to encapsulate a bee said one of the things that was uh, mentioned from one of his co-workers is that we didn't use enough hardener activator for the mix 
if you add a little bit more, it probably would have cured quicker. I had noted in uh, the podcast segment that I did on this that they didn't harden very quickly. Um, apparently, the individual he spoke with does a lot of work with fiberglass resins on boats and has never had soft fiberglass before because he knows how to mix the hardener properly. Uh, thanks, Bob. Appreciate that feedback. Next time I try it, I will try a little more hardener. I did read about that, and people talked about the different proportions of that, but I was too scared and uh, tried to do my best to follow the instructions on it. But I know that some people said you can expedite the process by adding more hardener. I was worried at the first time of messing up the the formula, so to speak, but uh, I think I'll be more adventurous next time and give it a try. So thanks for writing in with that tip. I'm looking forward to trying it again, and and uh, I'm sure when I do it, I'll give a shout-out here on the podcast and let everybody know how it went. Roundtable number six. We're always looking for new podcasts, and this one came by an email. Uh, Aaron Jennings sent one over. He's a listener, and he did... His first episode, he's starting up a new podcast, JenningsApiaries.com is the website. Bees and Such is the podcast. He was able to get Les Crowder, a pretty well-known and uh, great speaker, on his first podcast. Go give it a listen. It's Jennings, J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S-A-P-I-A-R-I-E-S, JenningsApiaries, all one word, dot com. And uh, I'm going to give Aaron some feedback. He asked um, if I would let him know what I think. I know uh, one of the things I noticed is that it looked like it was recorded in mono, which a lot of my first episodes were done the same way until I figured out that you have to record them in stereo. And I went back and fixed a couple of them, and I'll be sure to give uh, Aaron some feedback on that so that he can make a stereo recording and replace it. But still, it's worth a listen. It was a great interview with um, Les Crowder and appreciate him sending it along and wish him a lot of luck and we'll give him a call and see what other questions he has to help him get going. Always like to have new beekeeping podcasts come about and uh, especially when they're doing the frequency. I won't take credit for it, but I do know that uh, Kiwi Mana, Gary, called me up in the beginning and asked me for a couple things, and we talked quite a bit, and we remain friends to this day, uh, helping each other out, talking about different topics and stuff. So I always welcome another podcast, and good luck, Aaron, with your podcast, and let's keep cranking out some episodes. I look forward to listening to that stuff, driving to and from work myself, so uh, I I don't like listening to myself, so it's always great to have other beekeeping podcasts that I can follow. Thanks for the email on that. Roundtable number seven, might as well stick to listener mail. Got an email from Brandon Wilson. It's called Baptism by Fire. <laughs> He's Texas Hill Country just outside of San Antonio. He was uh, showing me some photos that he did of a cutout that he was working out of a camper and it appears that the cutout was working on Africanized hive and uh, he and another beekeeper it looks like we're trying to figure out how to get this out of this camper and the pictures are pretty uh, cool when you look at it 
I have a camper out in the yard and I can't imagine what it would be like to try and dig the bees out of the space that it looks like they were working in. On the follow-up, he indicates that uh, he placed a gallon of sugar water mix with lemongrass and tree tea tree oil blended. And within 48 hours, it was bone dry. And they've been working on this, trying to get it to work. Let me see if I can pull out a couple notes, he said. Um, Seem that they've been that way for a while and hope that it's normal that I've noticed that they are working three frames of brood comb very well. Brood is emerging, and when they are backfilling with stores, we are in a massive nectar flow currently. However, they are not building comb on the plastic molded frames that are coated in wax. It's only been five days, and the bees are all over it building burr comb above it, but not on it as they thought they would be. That's funny. Somebody asked me yesterday about plastic foundation, and I always kind of wince at that. I, I don't want to tell people no, but I've never been a fan of that. Um, it was feral stock, he said, and do have a quite a bit of Africanized gene. It would seem as a suit is required to even approach 20 feet from the hive, only to be met with 10 to 25 would-be challengers. So I, I won't read this whole thing, but uh, in central Texas, if you're going to do a cutout, sounds like you got your work cut out for you, pun intended there, Brandon, and appreciate you writing in and sending the pictures. Um, I have no experience of that. When I get myself in over my head on a cutout or something, I call this guy I know, B-Man Rob, we call him. I saw him yesterday morning in the driveway uh, going into S&F Honey Forms. He, he's the guy that knows all these situations and I don't think he's worked with Africanized bees but he's done quite a bit of cutout work and I usually call and refer to him if I have questions for things like this um, well I, I look at your email I'll probably read through it and see if I can give you any guidance after getting a chance to run through this but how about it folks you want to get down in Texas inside of a uh, pop-up camper trying to pull out an Africanized hive hmm that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> you got to be pretty daring and adventurous. Good luck with that, uh, Brandon. Uh, let us know how you make out with it in total and uh, keep us posted. Thanks for the pictures. I got one more roundtable to throw on, I think, for this episode. One of the questions I got recently is should you refrigerate your honey? Uh, the funny thing is, no, you really don't need to. In fact, I think it tastes better when it's room temperature. Honey stays practically forever if you keep it sealed properly and there's no need to store it in the refrigerator. I will say one thing about keeping honey cold. When it's cold, it tends to be a little thicker in viscosity and a lot of times you like that texture. So if you're going to take some out and you want it cool, cool it. But generally, the answer is keep it at room temperature. If you want to make crystallized honey, one of the things you do is put it in a cool place, and that helps the crystallization. So keeping it at room temperature, I think, would keep it liquid even a little more. Obviously, a good container. If you want it to last forever, you're going to put it in glass. If you're going to put it in plastic, I suppose that's not a problem. Just make sure it's food grade. Don't put it in metal. Uh, plastics and metals could leach things out and contaminate the honey. Most of the time that I know of, honey is not around long enough to have that problem. But if you were trying to 
as we're talking about stored in perpetuity, I don't think that would be the right answer. Uh, you can freeze honey. Um, some people say that they don't want their honey to change. If you leave it in a jar over time, it will mellow, it will change color and and so on, and maybe even composition in the taste will change. Uh, if you take it and freeze it, it will maintain that consistency and then defrost it, and you can have it that way forever. But again, uh, honey is so available. Just eat it. <laughs> That's the best way to preserve it. Eat it. Buy new. Get more. Keep bees. I just realized there's no telltale dings in this episode between segments. I might be a first for a long time. I have a couple things to cover, and then let's wrap it up. I don't have any particular order, as I said on the outset. At Let it ride. So YouTube.com slash NWNJBA. A couple of videos up there for you to check out. Shot a video recently, Is the Hive Still Alive? Uh, talks about a couple hives that are alive and how to look at one hive that was not alive and how to tell it was dead. Uh, Jim McCauley, as I said, did a great presentation on how to make a Varroa mite shaker. This is the kind where it's a double peanut butter jar joined at the lid. And you can use it to check mite levels. He'll tell you how to make one without using a heater, which is... Um, a soldering iron, which he didn't have a particular affinity to. Did a good job presenting that, so could take a look at that. Charlie Ilsley is up there with his swarm management checkerboard talk that he gave. That's a two-part talk. The other part was Dr. David Gilly. I've produced a video for Dr. Gilly. I am asking him to preview it, and if he's okay, we'll give the green light and open that up to the public. Um, I can't envision... Let me not say this in a bad way. I, I hope that he'll find nothing uh, that he would not find a reason why we can't open that up. It was a really good talk that he gave, and it really complements the one that is up there with Charlie. So hopefully he'll do that. I previewed emergency feeding that I did. I talked about um, in my discussion with Sharon the three different fondant findings. Hive number one, they were munching on it like crazy. Hive number two, they were nipping at it, but not very interested. Hive number three, they didn't want anything to do with it. As of today, they're all eating, all three of them. Uh, hive number one is just continues to be consuming what I gave them. I gave them even more, and they're going to town on it. Hive number two, I moved the fondant, which was apparently to the periphery of where the cluster was I put it right over top of the cluster and they're eating it and hive number three started to eat that fondant and I've noticed that they had honey stores when we did the inspection of them but I guess they're not going to look a gift horse in the mouth and they've started to eat it now so uh, you can take a look at that we also did a dead out preview literally went through the hive to the bottom board checked what was on the bottom board, called a couple things out. And if you have some dead outs and you want to see how you could look at one of those, go check that video out. The package install video that I mentioned is up there. And uh, I think I have some other video that I've posted, but it didn't come through yet from YouTube. I'll have to go find out what the status of that is. 
So always a bunch of different content things up there as we're posting through. Tim Schuler, the state apiarist, sent a couple. Uh, I think they've been up for about three weeks, but we haven't talked to you since then. Of bees taking water, he provided some dry pollen. Maybe I did mention this in the last episode. And we posted the Queen Castle video short up there. So uh, go take a peek. YouTube.com slash NWNJBA. You have one more thing to mention. I guess we're officially ready to announce this. It's been talked about. We're close to opening registration for this, the New Jersey Beekeepers Association Spring Meeting at the Fellowship Deaconry Liberty Corner, New Jersey. It's going to be June 6, 2015. David Tarpey from the University of North Carolina will be our speaker. If you go to nwba.njbeekeepers.org or the Northwest New Jersey homepage, you'll find a feature on the front page where you can look at all the information. We have the meeting agenda. We have maps and directions to the location. A little bio on the featured speakers. Tim Schuler is going to speak there also. We'll talk about the demonstration displays that we're going to have. You can find out what we're serving for lunch. <laughs> if you want to contact us about the meeting, that's up there too. And you can see the team that's putting it all together. Uh, spent quite a bit of time from vacation till now putting all that together and getting it up and uh, would love for people to go take a look at it and see what's there pretty excited about the demonstration displays of course we'll have the famous northwest new jersey gadget garage um, we're going to do some hive inspection training for those who are new a lot of people at previous meetings found that useful splits and nukes queen castles might have a feature on the frame game, some of the things that we've talked about. We talk about this to our listeners and to our Northwesters, but uh, the rest of the state doesn't get to see some of this stuff. We're working also on having vendors there to sell their wares. And uh, we've hosted these spring meetings in the past. last one that we hosted in 2012 had Randy Oliver and really had a good time at that. It's a fruitful thing to put this all together and then see it come to fruition really enjoy that part of it um, registration will probably be open this week it's $25 and we really ask everybody to register ahead of time please please register ahead of time if you're coming in don't know where you are but it's worth the trip in and um, $30 at the door if you can't make up your mind but again did I say register ahead of time register ahead of time it's nwba.njbeekeepers.org is our website. There's a big, huge link and advertisement on the front page. I guess that wraps it up. We're getting just short of an hour here. Let's see if I can hit 60 minutes and 00 seconds. Uh, I would appreciate if you have something to write me about, that you make sure you tell me your name and how to pronounce your name and where you're from. You can write me an email, kevin at bkcorner.org. I mentioned earlier that we have a new location to put our bees up. We're going to have to go clean up some grass and get that area prepared, but that's probably my next action for beekeeping. Really looking forward to opening up a new yard. It's the perfect location, and we'll have to probably put some shots up once we have it. Um, very excited about the 2015 beekeeping season, as I always am, and this year looking to 
make sure that everything's set. So with that, I'll say goodbye. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everybody, and be well.